This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Helena B., and you're listening to the Equestrian Legends Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 25, and we're talking with Monty Roberts. Today we bring you a fascinating conversation with a true equestrian legend, Monty Roberts. This episode is brought to you with the kind support of Pessoa. The name Pessoa is legendary in equestrian circles. During his phenomenally successful career as a rider, Nelson Pessoa set his sights on creating the ultimate in saddle design. Not satisfied with the perfection of balance, aesthetics, and craftsmanship, Nelson's goal was to provide riders of every level the opportunity to train and compete in a true competition-level saddle, a saddle that would be an aid to their balance and riding style while offering a comfortable fit for most any horse. Most importantly, Nelson felt that the saddle was a tool that the riders should not miss out on because of price. With these goals, the modern-day Pessoa was born and has come to to encompass saddles, strap goods, horse boots, and blankets. Riders and their horses come in all shapes and sizes. Pessoa realizes this, and they are proud to introduce the new AO AMS, a saddle for everybody and every horse. Made of the finest grained English leather, the saddle features an exchange adjustable tree system, three AMS synthetic wool panel options, and four flap options. For the horse, go beyond an adjustable tree by providing the right panel depth and shape. The new Pessoa AO AMS features synthetic wool flocked panels specifically designed for particular horse conformations. All panel types are able to be further adjusted by a saddle fitter. To learn more about the Pessoa AO AMS and all of the other fine products at Pessoa, ask your local retailer or visit them online at PessoaUSA.com. That's PessoaUSA.com. Marvin Earl Roberts, more affectionately known as Monty, is a horse trainer. Some may call him a natural horsemanship horse trainer. Uh, well, through his Join Up International organization, which is actually named after the core concept of his training method, Monty Roberts believes that horses use a nonverbal language, which he calls equus, to communicate uh, with each other and with humans. Monty believes that we humans can use this language to train our horses, to have better relationships with them, and to train ourselves and perhaps improve upon our own human relationships. Monty has authored a number of books, including his bestseller, The Man Who Listens to Horses. He was a very successful competitor, rodeo competitor. He has a degree from California Polytech in animal science. That a lot of you didn't know that. And uh, he travels the world these days, promoting his message of nonviolent training and communication. Uh, he has a close relationship with Queen Elizabeth, who also believes in a humane, a very humane approach to training animals, particularly horses. 
Uh, as I said, he's written a number of books, very successful books. He does clinics and live demonstrations all over the world. There have been documentaries on his work. Uh, the first was in 1997, which PBS did, and it was called Monty Roberts, The Real Horse Whisperer, uh, which is absolutely fascinating. I recommend every one of our listeners to, to uh, go out and find that because it was a really, really good piece. Um, Monty's won many awards. He has an honorary doctorate in animal psychology from the University of Zurich, uh, among others. He also has an honorary doctorate in animal psychology from the University of Parma in Italy. So you can see that Monty does, he gets around. And despite the culture differences or language differences, there is a universal message of humanity and humane treatment in um, in his technique and in his message and in his philosophy, his training philosophy. So we're going to talk to Monty today about where he came from, what's on his bucket list now, and what gets him motivated, what keeps him going every day. You'd be surprised at the answer. So sit back, relax, and let's have a conversation with Monty Roberts. Welcome to Equestrian Legends, Monty. Do you feel like a legend? No. No. <laughs> I feel like a ditch digger and uh, a worker of all sorts, but ditch digging wouldn't be as fun as what I'm doing. So, no, I don't feel like a legend, but I I feel like a mentor at times. And at 77, I guess that's a good feeling. Yeah, I think you're entitled to, to that because you have, you, you know, sometimes we... I don't know. For for me, I wonder, what am I? How am I defined? What are my contributions to this world? And, uh, you know, being a mentor is a, is a really nice thing to be. Um, but you've been many things, and you've been around for a long time, but mostly you've been involved deeply. So your reach is broad, but your reach also goes very deep. Um, that has to have an effect on the way you see yourself and maybe a responsibility that you feel. Do you, do you feel responsible? Oh, I do, Helene, I do. And the thing is, I am serious about this business that I feel I owe a debt of gratitude to the horses that created my career and supported my career and made my career. But not only them, it's all the horses that we have so misunderstood and are continuing to misunderstand if you go to Morocco in the Middle East and find them tied on the side of the road around the ankle by a rope that's cut into their leg <clears throat> maybe months before and um, has a big sore and a sore on their back and blind in one eye. I mean, it's awful what we do to this species. Um, not so much, I think, because we really are bad human beings or a bad species, but because we're not educated, we don't really know that horses can feel. And there, there, there are some clinicians that go around saying, well, you know, the threshold of pain for a horse is a lot less, so you can whoop on them. And uh, some, of them, some of them will even say things like one good bash is worth a hundred taps. Mm. And, and, then you have to justify that by saying that when a fly lights on a horse's side, you can watch them flick their skin. So the sensitivity is there. I mean, it's 2012. We, we know what their nervous system is. We know how sensitive they are. 
And yet we continue to just sort of black that out and just go on like they are our slave. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. And uh, we can do whatever we want to uh, create a compliant individual. And it's just not true. Well, that's an interesting term that you use, the compliant individual, because uh, there's this lack of communication. Well, I guess it comes from a lack of understanding. So if you're not understanding the individual that is the horse, it would make it difficult to communicate with them. And if you can't communicate with them, well, you can't necessarily have a relationship with them. So do you see people out there who... Who do, they, is it that they don't understand, or are they, are they in various stages of this miscommunication? They don't understand, they don't know the language? Well, I like to, I like to think that there's people out there who have not been educated and who don't understand, and I'd like to think that that's you know, a strong majority. I don't like thinking that we just do it because it makes us feel good or something like that. Um. I don't know if you've been on my Facebook page yes. or or my website to see the footage from South America of just last year. And most horses in South America are broken still by that same method. And it's just unbelievable. And it has to be a cultural thing because in this contest that I have on my Facebook and website, um, there's an audience there. And when the horse falls down, then you hear the audience go, wow, 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 and raise their fists Mm -hmm. because it's a feeling of victory over the animal, you know, and they just don't understand. That's a cultural thing throughout their society. And then you find the kids sleeping under the streets and you find the wives huddled in a corner. And uh, I, I just, I'm one man army out there trying and I need help. We need help through Join Up International, my nonprofit, to to keep these things going and to join uh, with people that also feel the same as I do, that they have a debt to pay to these horses. And now I have a huge debt to pay to one lady that has made my whole project global and has caused me to fly about a million and a half, no, two and a half million miles in 25 years. Um, I I have every status you can have on these crazy things they do. Um, but this lady has influenced the world for good in horsemanship, and uh, it is really working. Um, her name is Elizabeth. Uh, she happens to hold uh, a very important status as leader of her country, um, <clears throat> the Queen of England, <laughs> and um, she has become an outspoken advocate for my work. While there still are many, many critics um, who have crazy things to say, like, oh, he just chases them until they're so exhausted they'll do whatever he says and the stress on them is awful. And they they haven't read that I have done stress tests by the thousands. Mm. They haven't read that I've done science trials to see that my method is a minuscule portion of what traditional horsemanship offers the horse in terms of stress. 
Um, it's, it's, it's disappointing in so many ways. Um, recently a movie came out where a, a, a man ropes a horse by a hind leg and with a nylon rope drags the horse across the arena with the, with a horse bigger than the other one and wrapped around the saddle horn, dragging it by a hind leg. And as I go around the world, they say, oh, he, he came off pretty well. You know, it's a, it's a pretty nice thing. And I go, what am I doing? Mm. Where is my work going? Um, I don't say that's a bad guy. He thinks that's the right thing to do. But it's bad because it says you must or I'll hurt you. you and any time you say you must or I'll hurt you to your children, your wife, people who work for you, um, I think it's not moral. It's not humane. And it's not very effective. What is the anti-message? What, how would you turn, flip that message around instead of saying, you must or I'll hurt you? What would well, you say instead? Because it's such a simple phrase. And, yeah. Um, you know, in, in our communications with horses, with all animals, it's, it's so simple because they don't yeah. have the same psychological baggage that humans do. So yeah. it's, it's well, so stripped I, I, down. I, I, so how do you flip that phrase around to the positive? That, that's Helene, I, I, think, I think it's not flipping it around to the positive. It's not. Because uh, that, that implies that positive reinforcement is the only way to train, and negative reinforcement is bad. And that's not true. The founders of uh, psychology named positive reinforcement a an act whereby something is added to the scenario and negative reinforcement where something is taken away. And if you're a rider, you know when you lay your leg on the side of a horse and he moves away, you stop pushing. But you've trained him to move off pressure. Which is a negative. That's negative reinforcement. reinforcement. And we all do. When we pick up the reins, we put them against the horse's mouth to say, stop. When the horse stops, we relax the reins. That's negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement is a good thing. It's just the opposite of positive reinforcement. So I don't spin the thing around to be positive. I live by the fact that every horseman, every parent, every boss ought to sit down and make a pact with themselves that they renounce violence. We're causing pain. And remembering that words can hurt as much as whips can. Mm. But to create pain, force, or intimidation is wrong. And yet, we live by picnic. Positive instant consequences and <laughs> negative instant consequences. And the negative instant consequences cannot be violent. So, like in my books, I write that we have contracts. Contracts with horses, too that if you do this, then this will happen, but it's not violent. He might have to work a little more. He might have to, a child might have to scrub the tiles in the shower um, or mow the lawn or whatever. Right, right. But, but it's bilaterally agreeable. It's already sat down and bilaterally agreed with your child and yourself that if they don't do these negative things, then they never have to do any of those prices to pay. So but if they do a negative thing, they will have to pay that 
price. And um, I write about the boy that watered his horse with a water glass because he forgot to water him. And the first time I watered him because I hadn't put it in the contract. And then we had a talk, and then he forgot to water him again. So he watered him with a water glass that was provided in the tack room, but never had to touch that glass for the rest of his life if he remembered to water the horse. Mm. Now that boy is, as we are speaking today, one of the most responsible people you have ever met in your life. <laughs> He's a multimillionaire. He has his own business. He has a law degree, but he retired from law very quickly because he said that he had to create falsehoods to be successful as a lawyer. And um, he has his own business and is one of the most, uh, I don't know, well-organized people you'll ever see. I'm not telling you that <clears throat> that one incident um, was everything in his life, but I will tell you that he was nine years old when it happened, that he had been declared a severely impaired learner in his grammar school. I will tell you that he was in big trouble in many ways in his life at nine years of age. And um, all of this turned around, and you wouldn't know him from a possible candidate for president of the United States at this point in time. And have you met other people like this? That you, I know that you have your own children that you've raised and over 40 foster children. Through these small but many life lessons with horses, do you get to see how these lessons impact people as they, not only as they grow older, but as they take them back to their cultures? And do you get to see the benefits of that? Boy, do I. And you know, I'm working now with military people returning from these conflicts with a thing they call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't think it should be called that at all. I think it should be PTSI because it's an injury, not a disorder post-traumatic stress injury. And I'm working with a lot of them. I've worked with over a hundred now and the stories of success are unbelievable. The lady that lived in her house for 35 years after returning from Vietnam would not go outside. I spent nine days with her, uh, three day sessions in these clinics and she left her house. She lost 30 pounds because she had ballooned up wearing jumpsuit, nothing but jumpsuits for 35 years. And um, she left her house. She accompanied a uh, Veterans Administration person and went to Los Angeles, got on an airplane, flew to Washington, D.C., did three speeches and got three standing ovations and comes to my farm with regularity now, smiles, has lost 30, 40 pounds, and is a functioning normal individual. It's unbelievable. I have another one that was found under a bridge in Washington, D.C., uh, Alicia Watkins, and I had her eight days, uh, two three-day sessions and a two-day session, and she just took the tests, passed the tests, and has been accepted to Harvard School of Psychology. <laughs> and she's going to be a psychologist. She was a, a university graduate before 
Iraq and, and Afghanistan pulled her in. She was in the Pentagon at, on 9-11 as a $90,000 a year executive and then completely lost everything, her home, her car, mm. her dignity, everything was gone. So what are um, the parallels then between your work with, between work with horses and work with folks who have PTS? Darling, PTSD. darling, you, if you were here with me and you could see a PTSI clinic and then see horses that we have come in from the rescue places, um, they just have different names. The rest is the same. It's exactly the same. And particularly with PTSD uh, victims and with children and with wives that have been abused, it's exactly the same. And remember that when I have a PTSD victim, I have a family that's a victim too. Because it isn't just the trooper that's been through this. When they come home, the entire family is subjected to the kinds of dysfunctional behavior that this person emulates. And, and then people who are um, in places of, of decision-making have concluded that what we need is a lot of people wearing white coats. And we send these people to them and they figure out which pill to take or at which time of the day and they drug them. I have probably, of my 110 or 120 that I've worked with, probably have about 40 still uh, Vietnam returnees who have been on drugs for more than 30 years with no, seemingly no improvement at all. Turn the horses loose with them and you'll see unbelievable improvement. What is it? What's the key? What's the secret? The key is trust. They don't have trust, and then they do have trust. The horse is the same. They can't trust, and then they can trust. And it's the same. Now, can that be spun round again? Of course it can. And do you have a more fragile individual in a horse that's been beaten half of his life? Of course you do. And if somebody else gives him one more whack, you're back to square one. And it's the same with the people. And when exactly you, the same. When you start with them, when you first meet a horse or a person who needs you, do you always start at the same place? Or can you read exactly where they are and start right in on that specific place? That's a good question. And um, one that is very difficult to answer because oftentimes I make mistakes in reading people. I just made a mistake this last week in reading people. A lady came to me uh, from Brazil and uh, she spoke to me about abuse. She spoke to me about dysfunctional behavior and she spoke to me about stress and the whole gamut. And so didn't I ask her, are you married? No. Um, and is your boyfriend, um, does, do you live with your boyfriend? No. Um, do you have children? No. A mother? Yes. Uh, how old are you? 28. Okay. Let's get into this now. What actually happens? Well, 
At times I just go white hot. And like I beat up a niece of mine two weeks ago. What? There I was completely the other way around thinking she was the victim. And she came to me because she's a perpetrator. So I make mistakes all the time. Where do you start? You start with a conversation. You start just the same as if you were going to help uh, a 25-year-old son of yours. I'm not sure you could have a 25-year-old son, but <laughs> if you did have. And he came to you and said, you know, I'm in big trouble, Mom. Uh, I, need, I need some help. You might say, well, let's fix a cup of tea here or a cup of coffee. Sit down. What's the trouble? And you'd, you'd begin to assess the trouble. And you never know where you're going to enter this thing. And so you sit down and you, you fix a cup of coffee or you, you find a place of it's comfortable. Um, you know, you're not going to have right. these conversations on the battlefield or right. in, in the abuser's home where a lot of the abuse takes place. And same thing with the animals. You create a space that is not violent and yeah. fairly comfortable. Can you do that? How do you do that? I mean, what do you see when you first arrive someplace, specifically with a horse? Can you look around at their environment and say, how do I, is this a place of comfort? Is this a place of peace? Or do I need to create a microcosm of comfort so that I can start to have this conversation with this animal? Well, with people, I like to get in a natural area where it, it can be outside or like I've got a little log cabin we go to and uh, tree squirrels outside up in the trees and deer walking by. And, and I mean, I'm telling you seriously, there is not a time where the deer aren't walking by and the tree squirrels aren't in the trees. They're there. And there's no phone in there. There's no computer in there. Um, and we just sit and get started that way. Or we have a park area here on the farm and we go there, picnic table kind of thing, and sit down where they can see clearly in all directions. It's important. Horses need that. To see what's a, coming. A round pin is great because they can cancel out outside that round pin and they feel safe. And they don't have a corner to get hemmed up in. It's a fantastic place. And I don't chase them. That is a fallacy. I don't chase them. I don't drive stress up. Remember that we do this because adrenaline down, learning up. Adrenaline up, learning down. So it goes both ways, my learning and their learning. Got to get the adrenaline down. And people who would criticize my work saying it's stressful have not been there. They haven't tried it. It's adrenaline down. Hmm. They say, oh, that duly halter, it's, it's cruel, you know, it, it's, it's painful. What? When I put the duly halter on and go to work with a horse that's really frightened and stressed, their adrenaline goes down. Their heart rate goes down, not up. If it went up, I'd burn the thing up. Well, that's your message. I mean, that, that's your whole approach, isn't it? Is, is nonviolence, non, non-anxiety producing. Yeah. Work. And with the Dooley Halter, see, I don't know if you, have you used one? I have not, but I've seen them okay. in action. Okay. The Dooley Halter allows the horse 
to make a mistake. And he goes into it and resists it. And then as soon as he, co- he gets cooperative toward it, it gets bigger and more comfortable. So he runs the show. He runs the show. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon he says, oh, if I just relax and come off this, cooperate with it, my adrenaline falls, I, my pulse rate falls, I'm more comfortable, and we can start to learn. But if I'm panicked and I'm running around here, and then somebody, now a, a, a man recently was um, doing a uh, demonstration in Europe, and um, he was the leader of a large organization, and he brought a horse with bad ground manners in, and then took out a whip and started whipping the horse across the front legs. And pretty soon he lost the horse. The horse ran away, and they caught him, and he continued to whip him, and he lost him again. And this guy advocates for nonviolence, too. Um, and then his partner went outside and caught him and put a shifty bit on him. And then started, with the chain, started yanking this shifty bit until the horse was so sore of his mouth that he stood there, and then they would use the whip across his legs every time he was uh, uh, negative. Well, I mean, where would his adrenaline be? Where would his heart rate be? A whip is our enemy, not our friend. And yet, we still sell more whips than any other piece of equipment in the tax shops of the world. It's true. It's That's true. one of my one of my goals. Um, is to have it fall, you know, below the saddle pad or something <laughs> like that. Well, I have this image now in my mind of you standing there and watching this fellow take the whip to the horse's legs. How yeah. do you, you have to sort of let these people make some mistakes because uh, you, Absolutely. Have, you have to see it happen. How do you, not, I don't want to say control yourself, but over time, I'm sure you've developed ways to then communicate or teach these people without becoming angry yourself. Yeah, or- Helene, Helene, I believe sincerely, and you can you could put a polygraph machine on me. I believe sincerely that I have seen more abuse to horses than any other human being on earth. And it started when I was two, three, and four years of age. And that same abuse was used on me. And then there was a demand for me to use that abuse on horses, which I did. Uh, I did so because if I didn't, it was coming my way. And I feel sad. I feel sorry for the horses. I feel sorry for the person. They're victims too. The people are victims too. They couldn't act that way if they hadn't had violence wrecked on them at some point in their life. And when you finally get to that point where you can say to them, it doesn't have to be this way, are they, do they relax into that? That's no. Do they, do they no. feel, oh, good? No. When you say they, I guess you mean the majority of them. And if I get two or three in a hundred, I'm, I'm happy. At four o'clock this afternoon, I have a call to make uh, offshore to a man who has called himself a scientist. He's called himself an expert. His card is about training horses. Um, He has a large following. 
and he's been ultra negative to me for about 12 years now. And recently he's come round and um, he wants to have a conversation of amelioration with me and I want to invite him here expense free to spend a week with him showing him the things that I do and teaching them how to do the things that I do so that he can literally experience them before he criticizes them. Um, what he does is horrific. He's no hand. He's horrible with a horse. And a teacher, um, a professor in a university of equine sciences. So, and there's a lot of those now, and a lot of them are misled. A lot of them. And many of them want to go against me because if you knock down the tall poppy, you're bigger yourself right. somehow. Right. But when they uh, do finally see and experience, do, do you see the light bulb go off? Are they, you know, do, do they you get do, it? You do. Helene, you do once in a while. Yeah. But, but not with everybody. Really? Not like, at all. You really have people walk away from, from time with you or a clinic and they just still don't feel it? Yes, it's getting fewer, okay. but they're still there. I mean, I and, guess I'm growing up in a horse generation where it's a no-brainer. You know, they're, the old ways are, they're old, you know, and, and this is, yeah. uh, you know, this is the, the right way. Yeah, right but now, there are bad. those out there and some highly placed clinicians that have figured out a better way to show and say um, this is a new way, and it's the old way. And it's the old way. They they have morphed it into their own shape, and people think they're doing a better way and a, and a more modern way, when actually they're doing the exact same thing. There is one clinician going around, for instance, who has learned how to use a long lead rope on the horse's halter, and he rolls an ocean wave in that lead rope that travels, I don't know, about 150 miles an hour up that rope. And then he knows just how to pull it so that it slaps the horse across the head, circles the eye, and sometimes hits the eye. Mm -hmm. And I have watched audiences accept that. They don't see it. They don't know it's happening. And he gets them through fear to do what he wants them to do. And it's amazing how he stays popular. People will believe anything, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, he covers it well. And it's a little bit like the guy that makes the dime disappear. Right. You know, uh, you didn't see where it went. And so he does a pretty good job. I have a, a student in Austria that came to me and he wanted to be a circus trainer. He, he wants to be a circus trainer. He's a young guy, 23, 24 years old. And I found a super talented young man around a horse. He's pretty darn good. But he was doing pretty typical circus training things with a whip. Um, and he said, you know, I'd love to come more, become a more modern trainer. I'd love to work in 
more something more closely connected to your genre. And I said, okay, I'll help you do that. But I won't be able to teach certain things that you are using as tricks in your circus because it can't be done other than with a whip. He said, well, I'll eliminate those. I said, okay. Then your, your assignment is to go home and learn how to train these horses without causing any pain. And if you can do it, I will support you uh, in the act of training horses for circuses. And he's done it. He has done it. I've seen it. It's unbelievable. I put him on my online university. Uh, his first name is Florian, and very few human beings can say his last name. So I won't even try to do it Ober, Ober Lighthouser or something like that. But he, it's unbelievable. And he smiles more. He's happier with himself. And his horses are operating with him with their ears up, not flat back on their necks like you see in the circus so much, not resenting everything that happens. And these these guys that go out there with Liberty horses and the horses are running around the arena, they're rolling and everything, and everybody has a smile on their face. And the guy's out in the middle of the arena and then suddenly he reaches down and picks up this long lunge whip. And all the horses come running to him and stand up on their hind legs. And people go, wow, that's unbelievable. Well, how do you think you achieve that? It's called whip breaking. It was going on in the 30s, in the 20s. In Hungary, they had circuses with that kind of thing uh, 200 years ago. So, you know, we have to take a hard look at what's happening and and cause people to jump. They make me jump through the hoops, and I don't mind it. Yes, it's not an. It's you are at times still swimming upstream. Oh yeah, sure I am, but I don't. I don't mind that, and I'm getting better. I'm still learning. I've learned a lot of things recently that are that are helping me. I'm the Wilbur Wright of the horse industry, uh, and he just got it to barely lift off the ground. <laughs> Yeah. You know, 67 years later, we went to the moon. That's what I want to see for the horse industry. I don't want people to do what I do, and I don't want anybody to be as good as I am. I want them all to be better, a how lot you, better. How do you feel about the term natural horsemanship? Well, there is no such thing. It's an oxymoron, so how do I feel about it? I don't mind it because it kind of makes people feel good to say it. But there is no such thing as natural horsemanship. What is natural for a horse? What is natural for a horse? Plenty of things, but not n nothing that I do in my barn. <laughs> no, but uh, there's very few things natural for a horse. In fact, if you just say, um, graze in a field where they can see a mile in every direction, that's pretty much the end of it. That's natural. Right. Uh, live in a herd, you could say. Um, you could say to have only two goals in life, one to reproduce and the other to survive. And that's it. That's, that's natural horsemanship. Not to touch them. How long did horses live when there were no human beings on earth? 47 million years with no human beings on earth. So nobody was training them to do anything. That's what's natural. 
Well, is that a good thing? No. Why isn't it a good thing? It's not a good thing because if we resorted to that, uh, we'd just kill them all because they eat the grass that the deer eat and the elk eat and they get in our way and break our fences and everything and there's no use for them. Do you think then that the the term has opened up the opportunity for uh, nonviolent training? I mean, even though well, it I may be I, mis- a misnomer, do you think that people have, because so many people have embraced the term, even though they, they might not even know what it means exactly right, or that it right. means, it's meaningless, do you right. think that it's opened up the way a little bit for uh, for you? I hope so. And and, uh, and if it has, I'm, I'm fine with it. Horse whisperer. I don't whisper to horses. I don't believe that there is anybody that whispers to horses or that if they do, it isn't effective. What do they whisper in, Russian or Chinese or (laughs) English? Um, You know, there's no whispers. But if it helps people feel that we can move to a better place where horses can be given a chance to want to do what we're doing instead of being forced to do what we're doing, then I'm all for it. Um, call me a horse whisperer all you want, if that's what it does. Even if I don't whisper. Right, whatever you call it, as long as it gets it gets yeah. the job done. Yeah, yeah. Do you, now you, there's so much that you're involved in. Um, you've, like you said, you've seen pretty much all of it. Are you still surprised? Um, not necessarily by the horrors that are out there, because I think just... It, Unfortunately, it's the dark side of our humanity. We can be very horrific. Are you still surprised by your ability to make change or your ability to impact someone else's life? No. You know, I guess Alicia Watkins surprised me when she got, uh, I mean, it was great, when she got approved to go to Harvard um, School of Psychology there was a bit of a surprise there, and it does at times amaze me how quickly I can get things done if I get it right. But it, it, I, I, it's very hard to be surprised anymore at the negative things that humans do. Although in Brazil last year, when, when the audience all hooted and hollered and raised their fists when the horse fell down, that really surprised me. Because I didn't think it was that culturally um, implanted or imprinted uh, in their culture. My my um, translator left me at that stage and went away. It was a lady translator that they had, and it's Portuguese down there, so it's very difficult for me. But I couldn't find her, and uh, she couldn't take it, and she was waiting out behind the stands where the audience was sitting. Um so I would have expected more of their people to do that, but it was a big show with a lot of horse people there. And I, I, I was told that it was all the, the people coming in from the horse farms around that were doing the hooping and hollering. Um, I don't know. There's very little that surprises me anymore in both directions, really. Hmm. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to ask you um, a couple of questions about Shy Boy. Good. Yeah, um, I know that that was probably, um, I don't know, I'm going to assume that uh, your adventures with Shy Boy was a, 
a big learning moment for you when when um, you brought him back to where he came from. Oh gosh, yes. Um, it was a learning moment, but you know, it, more than a learning moment, it was a moment of validation because I'd already done it, <laughs> and I knew it was possible. But I, what I didn't know is it is it possible every time, uh, and am I going to fail dismally here? <laughs> Uh, just when the cameras are rolling, you know, because um, those things can happen uh, without any question. They can happen, and you never know. You cannot be um, arrogant enough to assume that every time you walk in that pen, uh, things are going to go exactly like you planned. Um, they will humble you, and I don't mind that challenge, but it's scary. Uh, but when Shy Boy came back to me, did join up in the wild bang on the 24 hours that I predicted, uh, it was some kind of good feeling, I have to tell you. <laughs> and and once he did join up, the rest of the world might not have known that he was going to accept the saddle right away and the rider right away and the bit and all of that, but I did. I know how that goes, and that is 100%. Um, and, you know, I mean, they killed two rattlesnakes during the course of that, what if a rattlesnake had bitten him or bitten me? Mm. Uh, that shoot was over. Uh, he he met a couple of fences on that 42,000 acres. Uh, what if he'd have jumped through the barbed wire fence? It could have happened, you know? Right. And it would really humble you. It didn't happen. And he he's a superstar. And he has a place to be buried here. And now we're in a race, Helene. <laughs> Shy boy and me. Did you know that? I did not. Tell me about the race. Well, we're about the same age. And now it's do his bones, a bit of his bones, go in my grave or a bit of my bones go in his grave? Who's going to go to the grave first? <laughs> and so keep keep listening and watching because Shy Boy and I are in a race. Oh. I want to be around I want to be around to say goodbye to him. Well, I think you guys will keep each other going probably longer because you know each other, because you have yeah. one another in your life. Longer is a good word, but there's an end to longer, too. <laughs> there is. There is. Yeah. Uh, we are mortals. We are. Um, we are. But we're blessed. I mean, my personal feeling is that um, our horses and the animals that we share our world with are ambassadors from a better place. And through their simplicity, they can teach us to be a little bit more real. You know, I, there's a truth, I think, in human beings that is buried under so Wow. I'm, I'm listening to you, Helene, and I'm thinking you, you need to give us a guest lecture spot on our <laughs> online university. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about this because there's so many people... Uh, there, there's so many different reasons why people engage with horses. There's so mm. many different. They need to conquer something. They need a relationship. I mean, you know all this. They, they just want to go out and Yahoo. They like speed, and you know, some of us actually sit down and think about, well, why am I here? Why, why do I do this? What is the root cause of my relationship with this horse? Mm. And therefore, I think once you understand that reason and your motivations, you can have a better relationship and better communication, and both of you can be happier. 
Yeah, and through education, I think we can make a lot more of those thinkers than we do those yippers, you know. I I, I mean, even somebody yipping, that's okay. So long as they stop in the evening and think about what was so so much fun that they yipped about. Right, and and that was when I when when uh, Glenn the Geek first said, Helena, you, you have a chance to talk to Monty. The first question that came to my mind was, what do you, what's your motivation? What's your root passion? What keeps you going out every morning and putting your hand on a horse's neck? Yeah. What gets you up every morning? Why are you there with them? I think my critics. It's the people that are against me. And I think about them through the night. And I get up in the morning and I say, I got to show them. I got to prove my worth. I've got to get better. I've got to up the bar. Uh, It's not fair to go away and leave them with some of these positions they have and some of these criticisms they have it's my critics they're my best friends <laughs> yes those people that, that those people that just love me and just come and say oh molly roberts oh wonderful i love everything you do it's like, okay that's cool already got them though they're they're along with me that's not the challenge now i i want to get better for them too and i don't mean to minimize that but it's the critics that keep you putting those two feet on the floor and right. saying, I got to keep going, man, they're catching up, you know, um, it, it really does stimulate me and I can't wait for this call this afternoon with this man. I don't think he's a bad guy at all. Uh, I think he's misled in so many ways and I think he's been unfair in many ways, but I don't think he's all bad. So he's got me thinking and I'm talking to a friend now, uh, already thinking about this guy that's not my friend at the moment. But I bet you he will be eventually. I just have a strong <laughs> I have a funny feeling that's true. Yeah. Do you get a chance to ride much at all these days? You're busy. Not as much as I would like. I'm home 50 days out of the year. Oh, boy. And I do ride on the road a little bit. But at 77, you don't go around stepping on every horse that's on offer, you know? No, gosh, no. <laughs> I don't do it and, at 44. <laughs> and they, and that with a bad back um, that they said I would never ride with, uh, it's, it's very difficult. They said one good buck off and I probably would be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. My, my spinal cord is so damaged. Um, but I ride when I'm here and I'm going to ride today. And I have this incredible horse called Chrome that gave my class this past week a a world-level demonstration, uh, both working a cow and and reining. And um, it's so much fun, Uh, really a lot of fun. I'm going to work with a couple of horses in the round pen today and, and, and Chrome and make that other call and do a bunch of emails and all of that other stuff that we have to do but um yeah i i just don't have enough time in a day to get it all done but i'm loving every minute of trying to get it done that's the best part that's that's the best part well you know i i hope someday if i'm out on the west coast again to be able to stop by and see see flag is up farm in person um it sounds like you've created just that place of comfort it's a mecca it's a paradise 
you think those words when you're here. Um, it it really is rounding into what I'd always hoped it to be. If you could, we have, uh, you know, the listeners for, for today's show, um, there may be a few out there who, who are not Monty followers. There may be, uh, you know, or it could be the choir, plenty of your fans. What do you want to leave? What message do you want to, to get across today? I want to leave the message that violence is never the answer. Of any that kind. Vi- violence is always for the violator and never for the victim. No one of us was born with the right to say, you must, or I'll hurt you to any other creature, animal or human. My goal is to leave the world a better place than I found it for horses and for people, too. Well, I think you are well on your way to that goal. And (laughs) you can't see me on the other end of this microphone, but I am smiling with my eyes Ah, because I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that this message will really sink in even if it's to just one more person today then that you one come more you person. come you come out to this farm and we'll sit down in my log cabin and we'll do a radio show trotting about <laughs> they'll be there they will be there monty thank you so very much for spending time oh. with me today i appreciate it thank you for having me Again, my deepest thanks to Monty Roberts. We will be back again on Equestrian Legends with another great legend. See you then.